Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And if my voice is a little fucked up, it's because I just finished practice with my band, Dead Fucking Serious, who is here in the studio today. We are going to talk about our new album, Peril, that's coming out this Friday, the 26th. We've got our release show this Saturday, the 27th. And then we're kicking off the Peril Tour next month, August 16th through 25th in California. So we're going to play the new album and talk all about it. This is dead fucking serious. First thing I wanted to say is shout out to Skip Hermans and the crew at CD World. They just celebrated their 30th anniversary earlier this year and announced a week or so ago that they're closing. Skip was a, a guest on the show a couple years back. We talked about this day was coming and, uh, you know, it, Surprised a lot of us, even though we knew it was coming, never thought we'd see the place go. So I just want to shout out those guys because uh, it's been an institution in this town. Did you guys uh, go to CD World? I did. Yeah. I, I know you're not physical these days. Yeah, I switched to digital for you're, almost everything. You're a ghost now. I'm a little more in the digital realm as well, but I still find good stuff physically. Well, because well, of you assholes... Our, <laughs> our fucking our, our album will be on Spotify too. I, I, okay. I thought it was a cool place, and like people who went to buy physical things, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, yes, and I, and I do have good memories of that place because that that was the place where I found a lot of. Uh, I liked how they had that like really big local section. Yeah. Of just seeing my friends in a record store was really cool. When we went there uh, right after they announced the the closing. I went there and, and my folks were there. I was just looking through the the local section because I've worked on a lot of different projects that they sell, which is nice. And, you know, like we did your record release there for Bear Cub mm -hmm. back in 2010. Uh, there's still a couple of those there. And I, lo <laughs> I looked at my section and it's so fucking big. And it, it was just like, it, it's so nice that to have a place like that, you know, that has so many different titles of me. And like I walk in and, you know, Skip gives me a big hug, and it's like, that's what I'm going to miss, is like, you just feel appreciated, and you feel like an equal, you know, there's the other places you go, and I liken it to comic book guy mm. on The Simpsons, you know, they're just kind of like the crotchety, you know, record store people, and, you know, I just always felt like we were there for the same reasons, you know, when you go into into that place, like, I never felt like embarrassed to bring a, an odd title up there or some shit or whatever. You, you know, loser. This isn't Tom Waits. So why are you buying this? <laughs> like we'd always just have great conversations. You know, it's like, oh shit, you heard this one? What? You know, tell me about you know, and uh, like, oh, have you heard this one? And fucking, you know, I just it was it was great, and uh, I always I always look forward to going there. I was I was late to practice today because I had to fucking go to Target. To buy a new release. They don't treat you like that at Target? Hey, <laughs> Sammy, good to see you. <laughs> so there's two CDs that came out today that I wanted to get. And um, one of them, uh, my previous guest, Russ from Good Riddance, I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally going to pick it up on the day it comes out. I always get it at my local record store. Then the fucking store closed. like They announced it like a, two weeks or something before the release date. And I was like, local I, I, I realized two days ago, I was like, Oh, I didn't fucking pre-order it. Cause like, where am I gonna get it? And mm -hmm. so, uh, I I did my my pre-order late, and so my 
My CD is going to come late. I thought you just weren't going to listen to it. Sorry, Russ. I saw the link. You know, they sent the they sent the link at midnight or whatever. But um, I just I haven't been in here. I don't. I didn't have time to do it. I want the real thing. Mm-hmm. Just I understand a physical thing. Know. It's better. It's like a nice big record. Mm-hmm. The art, the lyrics, all that. It's a nice thing. It's just you're. You're killing the environment. Oh, you're shut dooming the fuck us up. all. <laughs> the guy who didn't buy a straw with his uh, yeah. drink today and I'm just sucked it through the little plastic <laughs> anus in the top. He's like, "See, I can do it. I can do it. And it works. I'm a good person. You're not. So. <laughs> yeah. Not a good person if you buy CDs, is what Ben's saying. Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry, Skip. But you are if you buy our CD. That's yeah. the thing, you know. It's made of paper, mostly. <laughs> is it a digipack? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, that's all you can fucking get anymore. Like, I, I tried to get a uh, jewel case for Daydream a couple years ago because the art was a perfect square, and it was I didn't want to tamper with it. And, um, like, the manufacturer I've been using forever, they just won't do it. And uh, so Slightly we had to stretched. mod. Yeah, we had yeah. to mod it to do it. And, this, well, the same thing with Peril. Like, Atomic Disc is the company I use in Salem, and they... <laughs> Their art person wrote me back, and they're like, "You realize we're cropping off an artist's signature and like copyright <laughs> thing. Like, is this permitted?" I was like, "Yeah, no, I've sent it to him. Like, it's it has to be cropped to fit the thing. He made it like it was a twelve inch, and it's not a twelve inch. Like, I'm I'm stuck with your fucking parameters, guys. Like, I'm not gonna put black bars on it like a fucking widescreen movie or something. You know, my computer screen." Will display images in any aspect ratio. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Except. Well. Okay. Fine. Fuck me. The other thing I wanted to say at the top is that our friends 800 Octane just uh, got blindsided by uh, losing their drummer Dustin. He uh, died unexpectedly uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, it was really important to me that. This show, you know, is our first uh, release in two years. And, you know, we've been doing this this band now for 13 years. And I really wanted to get the gang together and, and celebrate and have, you know, be all the people we care about. And, like, I could have asked bands that are more current and have a better draw. And I could have played at a venue that people like more and got paid more. But I just really wanted to do this a way that was genuine and, and true to us. And, and Octane was getting back together. They never broke up, but like they hadn't played a show in like four years and they were getting back together for us, just for our show. And, and that, that was amazing to me. Like, I don't know if I've seen them since they played at my wedding in 2008. You know, individually I've seen them. You know, those guys just mean the world to me. And, you know, we've been playing together since 2001. That was just the worst news, and and I went up to Dustin's memorial, I think it was last weekend, in Longview. Got to spend some time with them and with the Broadway Calls guys. They have a side project called Wonderly Road, and Dustin was drumming for that project. It's like a country thing uh, that Josh is singing. You know, it was really nice to connect, and like people told stories, and bands played, and it was like a, it was like a perfect send-off, you know, just like... I had never seen anything quite like it, and a lot of funerals can be so detached and like paint by numbers kind of. And the way that 
it was done really just honored like who we are and how we you know how we do it you know and his drum kit was on display and it was at like an actual venue you know in a theater with a stage and you know so as much as it was heartfelt and real it was also kind of celebratory and um and they played a tribute that they wrote that day they were on the fence about if they're going to play our show or not and we told them like of course don't feel obligated to do anything i didn't even expect this to be a question i'm not going to replace you on the show i used to do an octane cover so we're going to play that as as tribute um but uh yeah we spoke after they played their little tribute at the memorial and they decided that they want to come to the show because they really still want to be a part of it but they don't want to play because um, as Dave, their singer, put it, if, if we're not going to play for four years, then we're going to come back. It's like, I don't want to play a terrible show where none of us can hear each other and keep time and the energy's fucked up and, you know, everybody's just off their game and, you know, it's not right, which I totally agree with and I'm thrilled that they're coming. And, um, you know, Dustin was just an amazing, talented dude who, you know, brings a smile to my face and one of my favorite drummers I've ever recorded in this room. You know, I got to record them twice in uh, 2007 and 2008. And, it, like, he had been in the band not too long at that point, but he was just, like, brought so much fucking energy. And, uh, it, yeah, it was just great. He was one of those dudes that was, like, you know, Octane. They were growing up and having families and, like, career kind of jobs. And, and he was the dude who... It's like, oh, well, I'm going to be in fucking three bands and, you know, this keep, is my keep working. This is my grind, you know? And, and I, I love that about him. I, I, I relate on such a deep level. And even though we didn't, um, you know, know each other super intimately, I saw him at a Broadway Calls Wonderly Road show like a month ago. It was like June 1st or something. And we hadn't seen each other in fucking forever. And so it was just really nice to, um, uh, to see him. And we talked for, I don't know, a long time on and, on and off for hours that night. You know, he had gone out to Nashville and played a bunch of music out there and then had come back and, you know, joined this project with the, the Broadway guys and um, seemed really happy. And we were looking forward to sharing the stage again. And, you know, Justin from Octane was texting me like, oh, yeah, we had practice the other night. It was so good. Like, everyone's having a lot of fun. And so... I'm just really thrilled that they can be here and share this in some way, even though uh, this is obviously going to be a big void. It's a crazy thing to to fucking go through uh, out of nowhere as somebody who's, you know, in his 30s. Like, you just you never see it coming, you know. So I uh, just want to shout out those guys and RIP to Dustin, and we'll hold a place for you at the show for sure. So... Sad stuff aside, that's why I wanted to <laughs> lead with that, you know, because uh, I don't want that to be an afterthought. That's an important, um, important thing. Mm -hmm. But God, this has been such a heavy, fucking impossible record. And I'm finally getting close enough. We're days away. 
where it's like, okay, I might actually finally be excited again. <laughs> it's just been to like let yourself be excited. Soul crushingly fucked, you know, from every angle. And I'm so ready for this to come out and for people to hear it, you know. And mm-hmm. the the reviews we started getting uh, as of yesterday, um, you know, just making me feel like, okay, they're getting it. This is what we put in all this work for, you know. Like, I know we have something special. <laughs> I still think you shouldn't underestimate the idea of putting all this work into something and then never sharing it with anyone. Just having it be a secret <laughs> thing, like you make it and then you immediately destroy it. <laughs> so no one gets to experience it but you. That That's not dissimilar to what happened to Squalor because we... Our plan was all of us were playing together in 2006, 2007, you know, disbanded for a while in 2008. No one liked this band. No one cared (laughs) about this band, you know. And so when. On the cusp, I think, really, they're like just about to break through. (laughs) I mean, I I thought that was like, oh man, like what happened? Like everything's all fucking like metalcore and like tough guy and like slow breakdowns and all this stupid shit. I tried to wear tank tops. It didn't work. (laughs) Yeah, you had your basketball shorts on. And uh, we were like, like, let's just make some fucking fast, like old school, like, you know, real hardcore shit. People like that. They did not like that. And so. You know, we've been playing again since 2012. You know, we'd occasionally get show offers, whatever, and we'd be like, meh, what for? No one cares, you know. And then once Squalor happened, it was like, all right, well, no one's ever going to hear this, but let's make this shit, like, the best thing. Because, like, in all my years and all the albums I've made, like, I never had, like, a, oh, this is my good Oh, you make punk rock too? Like, show me an album. Like, oh, well, oh um, got a bunch of shit from high school, <laughs> you know, and some, you know, just I got some really good covers. I like you know? no effects. Yeah, yeah, got some great covers, and so it was like, you know, let's just do this for us. And there's option A, which is the expectation, and that is n- no one will care, but we'll have this great thing finally to look back on our time in the band, and then we'll break up option b somehow miraculously people will give a shit and we keep playing and all that period was just you and me mm-hmm. it was basically a recording project up yeah. until squalor yeah it was you know it was just like okay we got somebody to do a tour and then he left okay we got somebody to do another tour cool let's do that one you know and then, oh, uh, Ben's going to come back and fill in for a show. Hey, we got one more offer. Can you do one more? Okay, we got offer TSOL. Can we do a third one, please? You know, and so it's just kind of been, you know, uh, the, the, the project that really was just trying to die that we never let die. You so know? It keeps getting better on its deathbed. It just yes. true. <laughs> it's, it's better than the last. Well, that's the thing is like really it's – our chemistry that's kept this thing afloat, you know, because I hate being in bands, you know, it's terrible. You know, this process has been really hard over the last couple of years because it's like you and me are always here. And then like the other person is a wild card all the time. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to get people our age to take time off work and, you know, do all this stuff and, and, yeah. and care about a project that they didn't write 
or really have anything to do with like, oh, I played all the shit on the record. You want to learn it and come play live? I'm like, I guess. Yeah, I'll be honest. I always had a big hurdle with that being in things where like, it's not me on the thing. Yeah. I don't want to support this. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's like, as long as I like it, I don't care. That's good. As long as the thing sounds good, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You were on the old bad ones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh yeah man it just um it's it's something that just stuck around like honestly when we were doing the squalor tour it was electrifying it was reinvigorating like i had done so many um i think i had done 10 rap tours in a row before that and we did that tour and I was just fucking grinning like an idiot every night, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember in Sacramento, I pulled Justin aside, who was playing with us at the time, and I was like, dude, thank you for bringing this band back to life. Like, you know, I know you're filling in, but like, this this is, this was the dream. I, You know, I always thought, you know, we grow up and the band hits the road and we make these records and you know and that was going to be life and everybody goes their own way and i ended up having to do a lot of it myself and when we finally got to do all that and do the proper album and the videos and the tours and all the shit with the actual band i was like this is the fucking dream i didn't know i had such a missing piece Mm. You know, I didn't know I had this void. I thought I was out there fucking putting in blood, sweat, and tears. And Kellen, to be clear, you don't fill that void. You, <laughs> you don't do it. It's just, he well, needs something more. We never played it as a two-piece oh. live, okay? So um, <laughs> when we were out there doing it, it was like just kind of a, a revelation. And I remember the following month, because we dropped Squalor in January, and we did a short tour. And in February, I was back out, and it was Sammy Warmhands and Ogar Burl, in the first like few shows, I couldn't muster any enthusiasm. I was like fucking around and just looking at the ground and fucking like I just didn't care. And I was like telling Doug Ogar Bro, I was like, man, I'm I'm really sorry. Like I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm performing. We're just fucking standing here. Like, when I go out and do a rap set, um, it's an entirely different thing than this, and I can put a lot of heart into it and, and, and really make a, you know, uh, a memorable performance. But when you're rapping in a group, it's even less engaged than that because half the time I'm just standing there going, hat, <laughs> cat. You know, and just doing you're the also, backups. You're, you're pushing the button on the APC. Don't, don't sell yourself short. I don't do that. No. I just tour with a fucking <laughs> iTunes he doesn't. No, I don't. I don't. I don't like that shit. I'm I'm there because I'm a fucking lyricist. But doing that, um, even if I had just gone on a solo rap tour after that, it would have been less jarring. But the fact that I was going from this just guttural, passionate fucking, you know, thing. That was such a physical release and sweating it out in basement shows again, like high school days. I mean, it felt so good that going and then doing the rap tour 
as a duo was just so much less exerted that I couldn't even connect to the music. And I only say that to be like, and, and that was a record I was super proud of, Rare Form. And the first tour was awesome, but the second tour I just couldn't even give a fuck because it just the band had just reminded me, like, that's what I fucking am supposed to be doing. I didn't tour with you, obviously. You know, I wasn't there. <laughs> but, uh, no, I had the same thing playing those shows where it was like, and we did three, right? Yeah. Two or three. Uh, yeah. Each one, I knew more of the songs. <laughs> By the last one, I knew all of the songs. That's true. But, but even the first one, which was rougher, it was that same thing, like a physical sensation. This feels really good to do yeah. this. And I like playing a lot of different kinds of music. Yeah. And I enjoy different kinds of music, but this is the most fun to do physically because it is a release in a way that nothing else is. Yeah, yeah it, it just reminds cathartic. you like why you started playing, you know? Because like, we all started playing on this kind of shit, and it's, it's like, oh, yeah, fuck. It God, I miss good. this. Yeah. God, I miss this, you know? And still, that's what I listen to majority of the time in my free time, but like... Like you said, just going up there and physically doing it, yeah. you're like, oh, fuck. Well, and you guys were always good as players, but especially over, as like the time has gone on, you, you're very tight together, so jumping in was really easy. Yeah, I've I'm gotten worse like, as a player, but yeah. our chemistry has <laughs> yeah, gotten so much better. Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I get yeah, you suck, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that's what it made it feel good, because I played with a lot of people in different situations, mm -hmm. and that, a lot of the time, doesn't feel good, like... The way you feel playing with the other people. Yes. Was it that type of music though? No. No, it was all <laughs> reggae. That's all I ever <laughs> but even then, but it's the just dynamic like of other yeah, people. people being able to lock in with each other, combined with playing such aggressive music, again, such physical music. Yeah. Because if it was like really sloppy, I probably would not have enjoyed it. Sure. Yeah. It would have just been a headache. Because then like, only you were sloppy. Yeah. And <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> Nobody listens to the bass, okay? They just feel it. Right. Doesn't matter what they you feel do. It. Well, yeah. no, no, it's totally true because it has that growly tone to it, right? And live, it's just got that all that bottom end, right? And you are such a a, a presence on stage in that. Well, back in the day, you, you didn't used to be, and Chris was that, yeah, because he would be swinging this bass headstock like an axe. I was and shit, so you know? jealous because well, you were mostly playing. <laughs> He's such going, an inferiority <laughs> complex. <laughs> he was going nuts, right? He took then, his shirt off. Oh, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'll wear a tank top and <laughs> <laughs> shorts. But then, but then, uh, at, you know, at these shows, uh, you know, the dynamic was different, and you're like, you know, I have no stake in this. Let's fucking have fun, right? And that came through because I had so yeah. many people say, man, that was the best you guys have played. And I was like, that was the worst we have played. <laughs> they can't but it was the most. It. But it may have been the most energy. I don't know. You know or, or at the very least, there was something uh, unique about it, something real that was happening between the three of us that just worked. Um, that I had numerous people say like, oh, wow, that like you guys are sounding really good lately. And I'm like, we're not, but thank you <laughs> for getting something from this. Yeah, yeah. that's you know. live music anyway. It's more about what you take away from it. Right. Exactly. As long as people don't record it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, of that time is when we started recording this, or started writing this album. I mean, we've been demoing since the moment we got off the, the Squalor Tour in 2017, and it's been two and a half years, almost exactly. It's been a, a bit of a, process like 
for a minute you could tell the songs that were written in the beginning, the songs that were written a year later, you know, but by the ones that we added later on, I feel like really helped us put together a sequence that there is a sameness about the record, but it broken up in a way that still like keeps you guessing, you know, it never feels like it just, oh, I'm using these chords too much or, you know, something like that. Like, well, that was a big focus when we were coming up with the arrangements of all the songs. Yeah. Was it was like, should we, let's go back into this part. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And then we stop it there, you know, and then go into something else. Like trim the fat, essentially. It's like, we don't need to repeat something if it doesn't feel necessary. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's been our approach for a while, but it was definitely elevated this time. Yeah. You know, where... I would say that was a big, at least for me, that was a big focus of the final outcome of the song. Was yeah. Like, how can we make this just as smooth and like, like you can see it all just from listening to it through. Like, like it gets to the point, stays with the point. Exactly. It's like, but still creative and unique enough that it's not like just playing the same three chords for a minute and a half and yeah. then done. It's like, exactly. And that, that's the key for me is that, I mean, when we reformed in 2012, it was like, okay, what do we want to do? Cause we had gone through a couple different phases of styles and, um, I mostly blame you for that. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, <laughs> is your favorite band then? <laughs> it's like a Korean girl group. Probably. Yeah. 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 That was where, that was when it was the, the downfall K-pop happens. Yeah. yeah. I was right in the You're beginning some weird of the ideas. <laughs> I was early on that. But, uh, you know, when we got back together and, and we did so as a, as a three piece, it was like, okay, well, let's get back to the basics and just do like, we're going to do straightforward riffs. But this and is a different kind of basics than it was at the beginning. Well, it is. It the is. beginning was more of like, again, a throwback to like yeah. original hardcore. And this is yeah. not quite that. Right. Yeah. And that was, I mean, there was very clear lines in all of our past releases. That's like East coast, hardcore riff, little skate punk thing. And, and you know, it kind of had this back and forth mm-hmm. about it. And, you know, I played this for, for Crosby, who used to play with us. And, you know, his reaction was like, this, like, you have arrived at the sound, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And it's no more like a mix of this and that. It's whatever. It's like, oh, no, you have actually found your, your style, you know, which took us fucking forever, apparently. But the fact that we didn't give up on it, I feel really good about. Like, uh, you know, I, I would hold this up as it's hard to look at it objectively because it's so new. But it's definitely my favorite thing of this style, if not my favorite thing I've ever worked on. I mean, I just, I, I feel really happy with the way that it was, um, you know, the arrangements. We did a little, I mean, you it's, could say we did months of pre-production, or you could say we did just two years of pre-production. Because on and off, as we're demoing these songs, and, you know, it's like, Kellen, come over. I got two songs. Okay, cool. And we arrange them on the spot, we record the demo, and we never play it again until next time we meet and we got two new songs to learn and arrange and go through all that stuff, you know. And, and as we were doing it, they were so isolated that the, that the fact that everything flows together this well is an accomplishment, you know. Um, and and yeah. so we spent so much time on getting the, the transitions and, like, you know, even just the, the realization of, like, oh, well, live, we'll play, you know, these blocks or do four or five songs without stopping. Like, I listened to Squalor and it was like, oh, this kind of drags like a regular CD. <laughs> like, 
this doesn't feel, you know, like when you go to the punk show, you see the punk bands and then you see the DFS set and you're like, what the fuck was, how, was that one? Three songs? How, how many, you know, and you didn't quite know and people would always come up to me and, and, and like, how many songs did you play? And we're like, 17. They're like, what? <laughs> no way. You know, and, and, and I liked that about it. And, and our live presentation had gotten so much better than, you know, wa- wa- like watching the old tapes of us where we play a 45-second song and then talk for three minutes. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to watch. What do you watch. guys think of George Bush? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. It was just like, it was like, you guys don't care about us. I'm just going to torture you, you know? <laughs> That's what a great you way know. to approach entertainment <laughs> yeah and that's what you get when i'm on the mic but it, it the fact that um it evolved in that way it just feels right to put that on the record you know and to okay normally we would record all the songs and you know after everything's recorded as it's being mixed as it's being mastered that's when you're choosing the sequencing for the album you know and the fact that we had all that so far thought out and rehearsed yeah. and came up with, unlike the live show that used to be two clicks between the songs, we were like, well, if we just rest one note in our heads, we can continue <laughs> playing. Yeah. And there's no sticks to try to edit or anything, and we can just play. And you know, we got Eric to come down and um, do the, the recording with us. So it was like, oh, we can actually fucking play all this shit in the room live and just mm-hmm. add a couple layers over top of it and it's fucking done. My name is Ben, by the way. I'm not Eric. Just to be clear, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to give someone a bad reputation by uh, you think I'm Eric. <laughs> like, oh, his playing's good, but he's kind of a dick. <laughs> bad personality. <laughs> yeah. He's so detached. Uh, yeah, just I've never approached an album that way, and the actual recording it took one day for all of the basic tracks and then the next day we did some overdubs and backup vocals and then everything was done except for lead vocals so i mean we we really did record almost everything in 48 hours it was a very short amount of time um and uh it was like two nine hour days and and i don't know i felt i just felt really accomplished even at that point and then um you know bringing in bringing back winston to do the uh, album cover and and even the photo shoot from the original art concept that we put inside with uh, Rob and Tracy, I mean, that stuff turned out so good. And, you know, working this thing out, Bill Stevenson to have uh, uh, Jason Livermore do the Nixon Master, I mean, it just everything about it, the record was different, you know, so exciting to, you know, I don't have three releases this year. I have one, you know, and like we really just, took our time with it, tried to do something special, you know? It paid off, too. Yeah, well, I'll say it's like, because I wasn't involved in it, I can say this, it's really good. It's not really good, like, for a local band, or really good because you're my friends and I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's a really good album. Thanks, man. Across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I appreciated just having you as an ear during that process because not only are you someone who's familiar with the band, because you were in it for so long, um, but also familiar with all of our favorite Blasting Room albums and, and the way that they sound and, you know, what what I would want to get out of this collaboration. You know, it was valuable to have, 
you know, your, your input on that stuff too. Yeah, pretty much all um, I said was, this sounds great. Like, which, I don't know what to say to make it sound better. Cause it sounds really good. I have no yeah, like, critical criticism. Yeah. But just, just having the conversation was good for me to think out loud and process it. Cause when I, when I heard the first mix, I was like trying to put my finger on any familiar aspect of it. Cause like I recorded every part of it <laughs> and I had done, done, done just a quick rough mix and like, you know, Oh yeah, here's the reference just in case, you know. And I was like, "Did we make this here? Like, <laughs> what? What is this? You know?" And I think we went through three mixes and three masters to get it just perfect. But um, you know, Jason was really patient, and and um, he says almost nothing. He's like very short on words, but uh, whatever notes I sent, these are just through email because you know we're not in the studio together. He was very um spot on with bringing those those changes to life and um you know the fact that like when he had finished sent me another email that was like yo i almost got a ticket <laughs> speeding listening to this shit oh, on yeah. the way home you know i was like oh that's nice thanks <laughs> man you know like, i'm glad that you worked on this for fucking the last few days and then uh decided it's, you wanted to play yeah, it again on the way home like that's to it that's that says something yeah i think i think so too you know, just uh, the fact that people who don't have to listen to it want to listen to it. Yeah. That's nice. It yeah. just, I don't know. It, I'm I'm very happy with it, too. And I think that it, because we did so much time, like, spent so much time in pre-production and, like, just listening to the songs and playing them and, like you were saying, like, basically making it, like, as if we had been playing them for months which I guess we technically were. But yeah, I mean, like, we made it like a tour set. Exactly. Yeah. And then we'll play them and play them and play them that when it came to recording, it just felt like another day, you know. We're just yeah. like, well, just play our best and just try it, try to make it work. And it just felt so much more, felt so much smoother and just that like, like with Squalor, trying to record some of the drum tracks when we first started recording, I was really frustrated. It was a nightmare, yeah. Because I was like, this is... And we were trying to use a click track and, and we were... It was a... Ugh. yeah. Yeah. It was a negative experience right off the bat. Yeah. And it sucked, um, which we got over that, obviously, but it took a little bit. It was a rough start. Yeah. Whereas with Peril, it was just like, all right, we know what to do. Dip, dip, and then like started going into the music, and it was just like, all right, that was good. Yeah. And then, like, you know, just move on to the next block. You know, it's just like, it was just so, we had so much preparation that when it came down to just putting it on tape, yeah, it was there's no thought natural. To it. Well, and I mean, that makes a lot of sense if you think about the way big acts record usually. I mean, because they will write a bunch of songs mm -hmm. and then they will tour on them for a right. long time and then they'll record And then they'll record it, Which well, is what, like... Not, not necessarily. Not, uh, a lot of bands, I they think save that every shit. band ever has probably done it the way I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's true. <laughs> oh, a lot of bands do it. Maybe that's what I mean. So, mm. in comparison to the way that, like, people who have day jobs who always do them, you, you yeah. write songs, you record them, yeah. and then you play them. And you're like, oh, this... This is the way we should have recorded it. Yeah. After we had exactly just ran them into the ground over and over mm -hmm. and over and yeah. ironed everything out. And I, I agree with that. And I, I always do try to try out songs live once or twice, which is really easy to do in my rap shows. I can just quickly sub two or three songs yeah. one night and two or three songs the next night and you know, like, okay, yeah, I've got like an idea of where those breaths go and what words to emphasize and how to deliver the chorus and all those little things. It's like you said, like, okay, now we know how we should have recorded it, you know, and I've, I've made that mistake. And so 
We didn't do that with this one on the stage, but we had played a few of them in the set on the Blank Check Tour, and we applied all of that tour experience to the approach. And I think that was the key in that we didn't blow our wad by pulling back the curtain like, okay, we're going to play a bunch of new songs tonight, guys. You know, <laughs> I mean, we even put out a single right before that TSOL show and then didn't play it. You know, like you said, with Squalor, it was so different because, I mean, we had been playing together again for a few years, but like we were kind of coming at it cold and writing these songs while we're doing a couple of tours and like kind of perfecting this bam, 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 nonstop set list style. I think that that is what made the record. Like if we hadn't done tours after Squalor, I don't think Peril would be anything close to what it is now. Mm. You know, that's true. Because we wouldn't have we wouldn't have learned the effect of doing that. You know, and for me, I was just like, man, remember that Bouncing Soul show back in the day? Like we went out there, they played nine songs, and then said hello, and that was like the greatest. Mm. That was one of the best shows I've ever seen. You know, and we were just, let's try that. You know, and um, God, I really think it's one of the one of the the best things uh, that we ever did for the band, you know, because it, it gave us kind of our own thing um, in terms of, I mean, in terms of underground, you don't see it a lot. And, and to bring it into the studio was something I never considered because it's so fucking messy. It's so complicated. And I, even you were going like, well, what if I fuck up the I third was, song? I yeah. was a little nervous, but you know? it worked out. And there's one song that I will admit it's was. really bad, but don't tell them which one it is. Let them yeah. decide. What song, you fucks? <laughs> well, there's a song on the album that, you know, we recorded everything in these chunks. And one song in the middle of one of those chunks kept being played just way too slow. We, so we did the block over and over. And it was like, okay, we got the block. We got it. <clears throat> and so uh, we ended up just like cranking the tempo on that other song I, we didn't do any of these on clicks but you know just playing it super fucking fast you Not, threw it into pro tools and then you quantized yeah, yeah, and then we it sped yeah. it up <laughs> we, we just yeah squished it um because that's a, that's that's the uh that's the pro name for for speeding squishing. up a track is squishing but i remember when we when we put in the um the faster version you know edit it to the same start point and I was like, okay, now I need to trim a little bit off of the, the back end. I'd have to trim 20 seconds because we played it <laughs> that much faster. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Just like fucking nonstop. 20 seconds um, on a short song. On a short that's song. Not like that's yeah. eight minutes. And you no. have, you're earning 20 seconds. <laughs> no, we almost cut it in half. Like it was, yeah. yeah, it was a big difference. And so that that was the only thing that we added later, which I'll, is drought. Drought was the one. Um, spoiler, but, spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I mean, there's only a couple of, there's only a couple of cuts just to kind of sync up the start of this block and the end of that block. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, just, I was, yeah, I'm glad that that's, that's how we did it too. And that it, it worked out for the final product. Cause there, there was certain blocks where I was really afraid of like, hitting a stick or like you know the rim of like a tom or something like that i'm like fuck it's gonna be on there forever <laughs> yeah yeah you know um well yeah because when i pitched really it you were like what <laughs> yeah you want to do what you're like i'm the fucking drummer man 
How many times am I going to have to play those four songs? Exactly. In a row? That that was that. Was, yeah, I was worried I was going to get burnt out by the end of the day and be like, "We got to play this block five more times." And I'm like, "Fuck!" And then just, <laughs> you know, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. But it worked out. Well, and and the way that I I can't stress enough that I feel like I mean the band as a whole, but this record in particular has just been like moving mountains and doing, you know trying to pull off impossible things. You know, we're a two-piece band that keeps trying to be a three-piece, our yeah. hardest, you know. And, um, you know, so for this, we wanted to record it live, and so um, we need everybody here. And so you live in Corvallis, I live in Eugene, Eric lives in Seattle. It's like, okay, we have to plan a very specific amount of time mm-hmm. to accomplish this. Well, then, for me, as take 92 to try to promote and sell the record because i fucking bought them all and i don't want to keep them all um proud uh, owner i have to think about in that 48 hour period we also need to walk away with a music video and a photo shoot which can be used for press and for the insert of the the cd and so i had travis filming the recording which we were able to actually used the song we wanted by accident had footage of everyone playing their parts in that song and and cut together a quick video for steps i sent it to uh, my friend adam dunn who's done a lot of animated videos for me put the words over the top easy cool we took a break halfway through the day cerebral cortex was in the living room like had put all his light rigs and uh, backdrops and stuff up and got our, our photo shoot ready. Oh, I'm not quite ready. I was like, all right, we're going to go record uh, the short block. We got two songs in standard tuning. All right, we'll be back in 20, you know. <laughs> Came back and I'm like, all right, we're all set up. You know, so you do the photos, got it done. Okay, you good? You can take it, you can tear it down? All right, cool. So we're going to go back out there and keep recording, you know. And I think at that point it was like five in the afternoon and this we were halfway through. studio owner is really getting on my case about <laughs> taking too much time. Just the worst person. Well, no, I told him, I, I, I said uh, to Cerebral, I was like, so we have a super limited amount of time to record 18 songs. I don't know what it's going to go like. It may be as easy as I thought. It may be way harder. So I can't come to you. It's like, you can have the house. Like, can you come over and just build whatever set you need in the living room or something and then just knock on the door when you're ready? And he's like, yeah, I think we can work something out. You know, I can figure it out. <laughs> uh, sure. And and so, I mean, all these things that are just like, that is not how things work. But we fucking pulled it off, you know, and, and you know, hitting up Winston going, hey, we did this photo shoot and... Uh, I guess I'll give a little background on that because that's what we're here for. The, the The original photo is the disc and tray for the CD, which is uh, we went to Cascade Middle School um, eerily uh, a few months before there was an actual shooting there with an officer and a parent. And we went there and we recreated with Rob and Tracy Sider this photo that was taken after the parkland school was evacuated during their shooting in in florida and things were just strewn about in disarray that had just happened we just recorded never again and put out the demo and you and i had a lot of talks i even remember at one of those shows we played with with ben at old nicks i mean we were in the parking lot going like how do we 
how do we do this? You know, like I, I, like it was just burning up inside of me. Like I, I needed to make more of a statement than just a song on the record, you know? And I was thinking like the Rage Against the Machine album where the monk is on fire in protest. It's a real photo. It's fucked up to look at. And it asks questions, you know, and, and, you know, like the Agnostic Front album cover of like, you know, the last Jewish guy being executed, you know, in front of that trench of fucking, you know, bodies and stuff. And it's like, that's your fucking album cover, you know? I mean, you see that thing and it makes you think, you know? And in a time like this where shit is so, I mean, perilous. I don't know what to say. That's not a whole fucking political uh, tangent here. But, you know, I, I started going online and looking at, like, you know, there was this Thurston shooting here when I was in middle school. And, you know, I was looking at, uh, I was trying to find some kind of photo that made some empathy or maybe like just a like a something's wrong an unsettling feeling in your stomach or i wanted it to be like a call to arms you know we knew the album was going to be called peril and it was going to be way less about my own personal shit and way more about you know what's going on i mean that charlottesville march happened like the day before we went on tour mm -hmm. on the blank check tour and you know everybody who follows me knows that song wildfire that i did but that song was half written and we went on the tour and had all this, these conversations and you know, we, we were processing this together and going to shows and talking to people about what the fuck's going on, you know? And, and so of course that bled into, you know, this record. And I remember we even talked about like getting an artist rendering of something, you know, and, and it was like, but how do we be like graphic without being exploitative of the people who went through this shit? How do we do something that's, that's not real, but feels real, you know, and it was just really, it was hard. And, you know, we came up with uh, this great team I've worked with before, you know, photographer Rob and then Tracy, who's an excellent set designer. And we came up with something I thought was a, a very clear statement, you know, and it was just on like, it, it just looks like a school shooting. There's no kids in there. There's no guns there's no whatever and i was like well let's do the lettering with winston like last time but we'll do it out of guns because he had done a version of uh his uh in god we trust dead kennedy's record that i had seen more recently that had a cross made out of guns and i was like oh what if we do that we make it two-dimensional instead of three and it removes the camp that was the squalor cover, you know, and it just makes it like stark and real. And then I sent it to him and he came back with this whole fucking thing with all the casings and you know, the shells behind it. And it was just like, Oh wow. Uh, that, that's, that's the statement. <laughs> like, holy shit, you know? And I think just from, you know, you have never again, uh, we had pulse on the last record. It was about the, the Orlando shooting from the moment, the way that the album opens just with the sample. And it does capture the, just the chaos of like everyone trying to figure out, make sense of what the fuck's going on right now. 
and closing with Magaman, I felt like it did take a long time to figure out what we were going to do when we were putting together the set list. I think I had four versions at least simultaneously trying to figure out how the fuck because they don't just have to musically flow, but you know, we wanted it to be kind of a statement. And so I think closing with that song was really, uh, crucial. Mm -hmm. I think it was in the, the news punk because there's punk news and there's news punk or two or two reviews <laughs> these are both uh, dead websites right that's what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> no um i think it was in the news punk one that you know talked about how it just feels like one mm -hmm. one statement you know i'm glad because there there is variety of topics and different things going on in mm -hmm. there but um the tightness and consistency is what really i think drives home the the message mm -hmm. you know? even when the message varies the feeling is still there you know well it, it also reflects the anxieties that you could feel almost every day yeah you know because it goes from one topic to the next and your mind is always racing yeah that's a really good way to put it it is and that's that's one thing that i really liked about even going back to the arrangement of the songs and everything it was everything is strong and to the point and it's it's frenetic like all like a lot of the songwritings the arrangements just kind of don't make sense in, in certain you know yeah in normal musical sense i guess yeah because i mean all we're doing is taking simple ideas and presenting them in an unconventional way right you know yeah we're chopping things and we're putting things again in weird ways and stuff like that that it sort of reflects the state of energy and anxiety and i guess i can see that because i even this past month, you know, I went from having a bad day to having a bad week to having a bad month to going, I'm having a bad summer. I really hope it's not a bad year. Yeah. You know, going like every day, it seems like another gut punch. And you're just being like flipped in this direction, that direction. And it's like, w w what the fuck is happening right now? Like, I'm losing control, well, mm -hmm. you know. And like, I, I think the way that it does jump around without ever stopping it, it 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 does mirror that feeling and i think that's why it feels good to get with you guys and play these songs tonight when i god have been having a hard time but it still feels great to go through this material yeah life is chaotic and cruel and like painful and it always is and it always has been but there is something about our culture now whether it's like the way we process information or consume it where it seems even more like that like it's not just that like bad things happen. It's that everyone is constantly, hey, well, forget about that bad thing for a moment. Yeah. Here, this here's this one thing. Yeah, right. It's the immediacy. Yeah, of it. and it's constant, and you don't even have time to really to sit on any one thing because there's another one. Yeah. Hey, think about this for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Feel bad about this for a while. Yeah. Right. No, I get that again. Having not worked on the album, listening to it, even though there's different things talked about, it just leaves you in a good way. I'm about to say something <laughs> that doesn't sound like a compliment. Well, yeah, that leaves you with like a feeling of anxiety and yeah, yeah. But not like oh, I feel gross and slimy. Just like mm -hmm. it's overwhelming. And I like the fact because playing with other bands and in in my previous band, Facing Extinction, where a lot of the music and uh, lyrics are very similar about just just how kind of fucked we sort of put ourselves into just in modern society that's sort of the reflection is in the art you know where it's just chaos and it's just like the lyrics kind of sometimes don't make sense but it's you know still poignant and everything like that that 
with Peril, having an album that can push the edge a little bit, but still be understandable to people. You know, I think that people could possibly even feel catharsis while listening to this record, hopefully feeling some sort of like understanding. Yeah, like we're and, in this together. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel hopeless for being such like a an angry, loud <laughs> piece of music. Yeah, right. It doesn't feel hopeless or empty or like... It's well thought out. Defeatist. Everything or, yeah. sucks. Kill yourself, well, idiot. Well, yeah. that was the last album. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. right. See, my, my mom is always the first one to buy my CDs. You know, like, when Why I get them. so well, angry? When I get them from the manufacturer, you know, just like, she wants to buy it first day. So I'm like, all right, cool. And she listened to it and read the lyrics, and she's like, I just feel like it's so sad and depressing and <laughs> angry, and like, are you okay? And I was like, and? And, <laughs> and I was like, what? It's like, I feel like a celebratory yeah. feeling when I think of this album. And I was like, especially compared to the last one. Like, think about the opening line on the last album and the closing line on the last album. It was, nothing left in life for me. Okay, that's how it starts. And the end of the album is, why try? I won't lie. Jeez. You know? and, and so, like, the whole thing was just like, <laughs> fucking, maybe we should all just kill ourselves. You yeah. know, and that, that was how I felt at that time. And then everything changed with the tour, and I just was able to get out of my head a little bit, and like, you know, and well, and obviously, you know, just fucking our our whole reality was rocked by skinheads in the streets and shit, you know. From then it was like, what the fuck are we doing, you know? And, and so I feel like there's a little bit of like we're all going through the same shit, we're all on the same ride. It's like going to a Mark Maron show or something in his first like 15 minutes. He's like not telling a lot of jokes. He's just like, he's like, you guys are feeling it too, right? You know, like what the fuck's going on, you know? And uh, I, I think there's a little bit of that in there, but it's also a little bit of a call to arms, you know? And it's just like, we can't, we're not fucking allowing this shit, you know? Like first track on this album, you've got the upper hand we'll take a stand you know straightforward shit but it's like there's a little more you know agency doing yeah. something yeah you know mm -hmm. there's a little more that's not so personal woe is me you know if only anyone else knew what it was like <laughs> to feel this way about the current events <laughs> you know and I still got you know a song about my dog dying and you know stuff like that in there but well, but even but those lyrics are, you're, you're on top of your feelings. Like, yes, it, it is a dire moment, but the way that you wrote them out is sort of like, I don't know what to do because I'm losing one of my best friends, but you're exposing those feelings yeah. as like the process that you're going through, you know, whereas like the squalor being like, I don't care, whatever, you know, it's like, it's too loose. Well, I mean, Squalor was really personal lyrically to me. Yeah. Um, but I think the difference is, if I'm going to think about the releases that came out um, around the same time, it's like, you know, Squalor, super depressing personal album. Daydream, super depressing personal <laughs> album. You know, and then the next year I did Figures of Speech where I'm just like having fun and talking shit and all this whatever. But this album I was working on through that same period, and it's a lot heavier than Figures was, you know? There's a lot more going on. I don't know. I mean, I haven't hardly written anything this year, lyrically, because uh, I, I just felt like when we finished this, 
you know, finish writing and demoing these songs, it was like, oh, I got all that off my chest. Like, thank you. <laughs> you yeah, know? sure. And we cut a couple songs throughout the process, but one that we cut last minute was one of those like sort of depressed suicidal songs that's like a callback to the old stuff and i i'm really glad that we didn't include that because i don't think that that's what i want it wouldn't really this fit album with the be. rest of it well it fit great musically and it, there was a segue into the song wait because uh the the end of the song had a callback to uh my song vacant eyes and it was like some days i want to live isn't all the time some days I want to live, other days I want to die, 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 you know. And then the next song starts with... Die, 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 <laughs> die. <laughs> no. And then the next song, Wait, which is on the album, starts with, I don't want to die, I just want to... You know, and, and it's like, okay, yes, that was a real feeling, but like, in processing this, like, you know, I just want to get better, I just want to change the things around me, you know, I'm not going to let this bullshit weigh me down. And... And so it, it did work really well together, but I still feel like that is not where I'm at anymore, or at least right now, and it's not where I want to be, and it's not what I want to put out, you know? And so I'm, I'm really glad that we cut that one. There's enough heavy shit in there. I mean, there's a song about a guy stalking my wife. You know, there's a song about fucking, I don't know, I'm looking at the sailors from across the room. <laughs> I mean, um, every song kind of has a pretty you know, none strong... Of the, none of them are feel-good no. anthems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious what people's comments might be about Anarchaic, because that is one of the more uh, I'm, topics that aren't really talked about, at least in our peers. I'm glad that you brought that up, because it, that song is one that um, could be misconstrued. Um especially on the internet, you know, I feel like it's a very like just alarmist sort of reactionary climate right now. And um, I wrote a song like that for the same reason that I wrote Ruins of Chaos in 2002. It's because like all these anarchist punks aligning with you know, what we're doing. And I think that, that there's value in that, but the extreme shit was really rubbing me the wrong way, you know? And, you know, it's like I remember back when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson and Black Lives Matter was beginning, something was happening, you know, and everybody knew it. And then someone who was either claiming or was scapegoated as affiliated with Black Lives Matter was, like, sniping cops in Texas. And I remember seeing people... You know, in my social media circles, I'm like, fuck yeah, that's what they get, you know? And, and like, that's the kind of shit where I was like, how are you different than the, like, redneck stockpiling for his little right-wing militia shit, you know? Like, I, I, I don't see the difference. Obviously, there's a huge difference in there's Nazis marching in the street and, you know, the Antifa guys who want to fucking kick their asses and send them back to their... uh you know, dining room tables where they can say the N-word and no one yells at them, you know. But, like, I, I just feel like sometimes, and these are conversations that I have with other people in our community who don't say them out loud, but it's just so simple to take a tiny verse and just invert slightly so you think you got something to say 
about the blacks and the trans and the gays, because that's Trump talk, you know. You're afraid, you're ashamed. Either way, you know it. Go away. Very simple. It's just like this open bigotry shit has got to fucking stop. And it's just some weird, insecure white people shit. We know you're sad inside, but like, you are not taking it out on these other people. You know, we're not going to fucking allow that. And second verse, so you think you got something to say about smashing the fascist state, which admittedly I use because it was a much better rhyme with the first verse. So you can lay them over the top of each other and they're identical. You're afraid, you're the same. Either way, you'll throw it all away. And what that signifies is... You know, I was just talking to Travis the other day about the they-them language. And you get people who are fully accepting of you on your side, have love you unconditionally. And then the extreme reaction to someone who says the wrong thing when referring to you may accidentally push that person away. The one person who was there to, like, to, to support you. To have your back. Yeah. And, and, and I, I know that's a very sensitive example and I don't use it lightly. Uh, another one that I wrote about in the song Wildfire is when the left was introducing the idea on a broad scale of privilege. And no one had heard this before. No one knew, you know, unless you're in academic circles, you know, the general population of white people had never heard this word before in this way. And it's being aligned with you're trying to educate people and explain that like well there is a system that you unknowingly benefit from right and people would uh use the words white supremacist in terms of structural systematic injustice which are technically valid but those words when being thrown at people who are like caught in the middle and don't understand yet are completely alienating because there's you you're calling me wait you think because i fucking you know x y and z you want to liken me to like a clansman like are you fucking kidding and so you lost so many people i mean who would have joined you exactly you think of the people who like there are studies that say bernie sanders when he lost the primary had voters that went to trump and you're like, how the fuck? Where is the correlation? To me, that is the correlation of people who were on your side, but basically being like, well, you're not doing it the right fucking way, you piece of shit. You know, and, and the, just the left has a very hard line that can be condescending and can be alienating. And so I take a very big concept that we could talk about for hours and reduce it to a couple of lines which is why i feel like it could be heard and dismissed you know and written off and uh, you know dfs is the next cancel culture fucking casualty you know whatever but like i think that there is validity in that you know and like i had peter feliciano on this show before he started his conservative podcast and i thought that he was going to be taking that sort of approach of like, let's not fucking murder each other over, you know, these 
minuscule differences in what we're talking about when we can actually come together on them and go after the big problems, you know. Uh, sadly, I tuned into that show and he was uh, uh, telling racist jokes and uh, dropping the N-word and shit, wow. after which I had a very long phone call with a guy that I don't actually know that well, ripping into him like I was a stepdad or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was not the show that I expected. So um, that aside, I just felt like, I don't know, that's a real feeling. Those are conversations I frequently had with a lot of people. And I think to some extent, the extremist stuff is two sides of the same coin. And that's how the, the song ends is on that point is that, you know, you're two sides of the same coin of the ones who divide us, you know, because we could all be pointed in the same direction trying to make, you know, positive change or we could be just fighting amongst ourselves and divide the faction while everyone rallies behind the fucking orange man and... And, you know, on that side of the aisle, there's no question. <laughs> well, I don't agree with him, but he's got Gotta my stick vote. together. It's a team game. You know, I don't like what he says, like, but he's the dad. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's uh, definitely something I had to include. On that note, we should play the record. I'm not into Donald Trump. Just to be clear, I don't know <laughs> if that. <laughs> Okay. So let's see what observations we can make in these very short run times. What is that quote from? It's from the movie Network. Oh, somebody, yeah. Which I had never seen until after I had done that, and the song was already in mixing. Um, it was on the, actually on an interview on WTF podcast with Mark Maron. He had some actor on, and they were talking about this legendary monologue in the movie Network, and so I Googled it. And I was going to use it, and when I went to look it up, I found all these other great scenes, and so I used a different, a totally different <laughs> part of the movie. Um, and then it just so happened that Netflix added it, like, while the album was being mixed. It's like a 30-year-old movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's funny, because uh, I read in the trivia that someone was trying to, like, option it to make a TV series, and they were, like, showing it to focus groups, and they didn't get that it was satire. Because it's basically just, like... <laughs> There's a million Howard Beals on TV right now. Mm -hmm. But in the 70s, it was like a radical, crazy, laughable thing. There's, you know, they're like, you know, take him off the air. And like, guys, the ratings were this big. And like, put him back on the air. You know, like, uh, it was just a very uh, relevant thing. Like, it's like it's come full circle on it from yeah. being a joke to just being reality. Right. Oh, which show was that from? Which <laughs> recent show was that from? Um, shout out to... Uh, Justin, our previous bass player who actually wrote that riff. It's that, a good riff. That's why it's, yeah, yeah. it's the most memorable riff yeah. on the album. I'm yeah. like learning it. I'm trying to play other things. I'm like, stop ruining it. Just play it as it's written. Yeah, yeah. play it simple. And uh, yeah, he, he wrote that riff, which is why we called it And Justin's For All. We arranged it in the Chinese restaurant yep. in uh, Medford, Oregon on the first tour. Mm -hmm. This is one of the ones we played on the Blank Check tour, and it's still one of my favorite songs. Yeah, this this song and then and the next song, Detonate, goes so well together. And this is one of my favorite songs to play live too. Yeah, especially the ending; it's just so powerful. It's funny too because it's one of the more superficial songs. If, if you actually know the origin of it, it's just some like when I'm at work 
people constantly refer to you by your name and I'm like you don't fucking know me like I'm just you know like I'm a faceless fucking entity you know wearing this fucking uniform that's why I'm like point of view deformed by this uniform like I, I am nothing you are not meeting me we have never met fuck you not a real you human know? interaction exactly yeah man like uh, it, it I don't know why it gets under my skin at like I, I'm like Am I supposed to know you from somewhere? Do I like? And they, they say it like fourteen times, like thanks, and they're being very nice. But when they leave, I'm just like motherfucker. I, it's right. just something. It's a character defect, but it's a genuine, like, really strong feeling. <laughs> well, going into a store and talking to somebody about something is such an inhuman yeah. thing nowadays. And then to put a name in there is like it's a salesman technique too. And so it. I was taught that in my early 20s, and right. so it's like feels so disingenuous and weird. I have times at my work there where, where sometimes I'll be like not interacting well with someone, and they'll say my name, and I'll be like, that was totally a trick to calm me down. Yeah. And that completely worked. No, <laughs> it's the opposite <laughs> to me. <laughs> See, I'm it. like, who the fuck are you? I don't know you. You don't know me. But uh, yeah, this song, and that's just part two of this song, but um, you guys may have <laughs> heard. Right. Yeah, because you know, there's a lot this of stops is, how, and starts. This is, we're 10 songs in now? <laughs> this is the fourth song. Okay. Um, but yeah, I still maintain that this is one of the most significant songs we've ever made, and yeah. I'm really proud of it. And it was a tribute to the, the victims and the, the just brave, amazing survivors uh, in Parkland and the way that they handled that. And this, this we call bullshit. Well, you know, obviously a nod to uh, Emma Gonzalez and that brilliant speech that she made and, you know, calling out these pieces of shit for pocketing all this lobbyist money and then walking up to their faces and, you know, saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I wish we could have done something to help, you know. And uh, so that one you've probably heard, but I'm really happy with how the final one came out. Um, Count Me Out's an interesting one I like the arrangement on this one a lot Yeah I like the little bass break that comes up here We don't Don't go straight in the chorus no. Yeah It's not It's obviously not a grind song But a lot of the transitions and breaks in the chorus Are very mm, grindcore yeah. Oh and has alternating you, me, yeah. and group Like very just jagged stuff Yeah Jagged arrangement stuff Jagged stuff <laughs> There's no cool going on here. <laughs> and it's just dissonant and just weird, and then it's got, it's just nuts. Yeah. One of the rare times where I'd actually, you know, throw in that actual dissonant chord instead right. of just, you know, making an unusual chord change. Yeah. This is one of those two where, you know, we had everybody here doing the group shouts, and actually, unfortunately, you had your fucking tonsils really out or something, you couldn't come. <laughs> um, but, uh, we, we were like, yeah, so okay, good. this Count Me Out has the obvious, like, big group shouts, you know. But we are like, well, let's just do it on the title, though, and not do it on the other ones. Because, like, live, it's just me and Kellen trading. So let's apply that to the, the record. And I'm, I'm glad we didn't overdo the groups. Yeah, me too. Um, this one is called Brian, and it's about Brian Denicky, who I learned about in high school, was a punk from Texas who got murdered uh, by some football players um, and uh, yeah if you listen to this verse he was run over in a parking lot fight and uh, I that that resonated with me at the time you know like you hear about Brian Dennehy and about Matthew Shepard and you know some of these 
egregious like hate crimes, you know. And um, last year, I finally they made a movie called Bomb City about the story, and, and I finally mm. got to watch it on uh, it was on added to Amazon, and um, it just moved me so much, and and I was like crying watching the end of that movie, and I came out and wrote those words. That just as a tribute to Brian and you know anybody who gone through some shit like that I mean it was just brutal um, and this is the one about Puppy Lou um, which I wrote the night before uh, having to put, put my dog down and it sucks because we closed the set with this song and it's so visual the words that I picture it every, like every time I can't I was not picture about it that. and my it's like I am it's like gotta be hard. I was kneeling on the ground, eye level to him on the the you know steel counter thing, you know, and and I I can't not see it every time we play it. So I have a weird like way yeah. I am in the set every time. I have that feeling. Does it affect the way you play it at all? Um, sometimes vocally, yeah, yeah. Um, this is one that I really like that. You know, we have these super short songs, but I'm a huge fan of Metallica, and so you'll hear like <laughs> the riffs evolve. Like, there's three versions of this riff already have occurred in the song, you know, um, and just subtle changes of re reusing the same idea, but with a twist. Um, you know, throw in a couple of stops, and um, you know, use that chorus riff again for this big moment here. And then continue playing the next song. Um, I wrote this song in the Fat Wreck parking lot on the second tour. I'll be honest with you, the beginning of this reminds me of one of those uh, No Effect songs off the B-Sides album. Reforming, oh. I think is what it is. It's a oh. completely different song, but just that intro, like, my brain goes like, yeah. Man it, man it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> See, I like this because we took that kind of slower moshy thing and then we did it just for a second and instantly yeah like left turn back into super fast yeah and it's not a, a straight double time either it's a like no that's over now we're going fast yeah never again um yeah and the, the lyrics for this were written i think on the way back from the blank check tour it was like the same day or the day after and remember we just had some like emotional conversations in the van and it started like we were playing like oh man what would your funeral song be I'm like oh mine was this mine was this. you know it just got like super heavy and um, you know I, I remember just like driving the van like crying you know <laughs> and um, you know we stopped laughing at your sadness <laughs> we stopped at a truck stop and you know I had hugs and whatever and I, I wrote this in my in my notepad like on the hood of the van um, Mm, aliens. This is one we're not playing live, but was the first single. <laughs> um, we well, we realized that where it fit in the set list, we would have been playing it so goddamn sloppy. Yeah, it was not. It, it wasn't doing it justice, and it really needs the group vocals too. Like, yeah, this. But this is one of my proudest moments on the whole album, like lyrically and just the simple chromatic bass part, and you know, I just it's a simple. Simple song. This is a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's, but it's, it's very reminiscent of uh, like discharge, mm. kind of. Yeah, I can a little hear bit that. of that. Is that also a no effect song? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was glad that we got the uh, the F minus comparison in the review that came yeah. out today. I thought that was cool. Uh, I, I wrote it back and was like, oh, I'm glad you picked up on that because they were like a huge influence to us back in the day. <laughs> yeah. 
This was one of the early ones too. We wrote it after the Squalor tour. Um, I was being like, you know, I was going through all this depression shit, and but like, now I, I feel like I'm, feel like I was doing better, and now it's like all coming back and shit's falling apart, and then like, oh yeah, and Justin quits the band two days after we got home. Yeah, it's like I felt I was making progress, we're doing better, and I'm like, oh no, we're fucked again. So that's the one step forward, two steps back. This is Drought, the one we came back and played faster. As you can hear, is pretty quick. Yeah. This song I didn't even care about. Like, both verses have like compound words that I dropped the second half off of because <laughs> it just. I don't care. I wanted it just to, to sound. <laughs> just want to get over with it. It's it's done. Done. Really Quickly. pissed and really short. Um, <laughs> we wanted the record to be 20 seconds longer. Yeah. So we wrote that song. <laughs> yeah. Listen to that bass. I know. This was actually one that uh, that we overdubbed is. Eric was, um, uh, you know, like you can nitpick your own performances, but I feel like he actually had a, a really good ear for picking out the ones where it's like, oh, I think this one I could dig in a little bit harder and make yeah. it like really snarl. And uh, yeah, when he did, he did on this song, like we played with <laughs> a couple different like variations of the scrum pattern and we're like, nah, let, let's just go back to the simplest one and just hit it hard. And yeah, um, I, yeah like he did a great job on this one. He even added like some... He he took some liberties in the on the chorus part. That was great. Yeah, like the yeah yeah. He he had taken a thing that was from the demo and and modified That's it, right. gave it a little twist. That's right. Yeah, I'm really happy just hearing like the guitar by itself because I spent like two months going through different tubes and yeah. uh, all this shit because it was starting to not sound good anymore. Well, I would, and I so, would have never guessed that that was a Line Six Spider. Fuck you! You got some great sound. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, your pod. Yeah, no, like that sick. was a painstaking process through my fucking dual rectifier. Um, Paid off. Many, many new tubes and different mic placements and many, many, many demos and finally arrived on that. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then my fucking guitar kept going out of tune while we were playing. Yeah, the, yeah. So when we did the, the second channel, um, I had to use my uh, my classic with the P90s. And then I allow myself it's one absurdity. guitar solo yeah. per record. And it's always ridiculous and thrashy because that's how I like it. And I also am not that talented. So, uh. Listen, Karen, we're not all going to say mean things about ourselves now. It's this not was, that kind of party. This was always one of my favorite songs. This one's fun to play. The pace yeah. of this song is really fun. This one reminds me, like, in the chorus, it's just like the dap-a-dap-dap-dap-a-dap with mm -hmm. the, like, long scream notes. It always reminded me of the Foo Fighters song, Enough Space. It has that vibe of, like, huge guitars. I'll take this moment just to compliment you, Kellen. Uh, I always thought you were good, and I was wrong. <laughs> no, I always thought you were good, but when oh. we played before, you were much younger and more raw, I would say. But then, over the past four or five years, like having not heard you for such a long time, you you're really good. But you're like not just good; you're tight and you're solid. Your energy is very high but consistent. You're not sloppy. You're not all over the place. 
So playing music this fast at this level, especially as the drummer, you have the hardest job, and it's really easy to not sound good. Yeah. And by the way, that was true. not an edit. That was a real. That was one that sounds like a punch that's real. Um, but yeah, uh, I think Thanks, you've also man. come into your own style as well on these last two yeah. records. You know, in that, um, you know, we were talking about like uh, you not being able to play. It's uh, hard. Yeah, and like you not being able to play some shows. Um, you know, later on we were talking about, you know, like an understudy situation and, I, and, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, no one's going to play it like that, though. <laughs> you know, like, no, nobody has that style to it. Yeah, it, it really worked with just playing this type of music for so long. Because, yeah. just... I mean, it was playing with friends you know in high school and stuff just learning getting bearings and stuff but then feeling the confidence to approach you guys you know after you guys were thinking about breaking up you know like oh, years yeah. ago like years ago yeah yeah for context uh, our drummer in dfs was moving away and joining the military and we'd only been a band like three months and we're like i guess this is our last show so then a taste of things to come yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly and then <laughs> should have saw that fucking coming <laughs> and then kellen was like one of our only fans and uh at that show we were talking i was like i, was I like, get oh. it <laughs> oh <laughs> i'm the only one but i get it got it got it but yeah so for for doing for, and then doing dfs for a few years and then uh going back to facing extinction and playing that for years yeah and then shh actually for a brief moment playing in both bands yeah and, and, and then, we were your slow band you said yeah exactly <laughs> and that and then coming back to doing this i think i've just had that time to really develop yeah and do stuff and then playing with like rye wolves and i think we had other, different other bands trajectories because you had spent so much more time in it that when we started playing again i was like damn he's gotten good versus me stayed consistent. who had um kind of neglected that part of myself um, except for like I would do the cover sets and stuff to try to like pretend I still had a band for a week at a time but then um, I think I just had such a need to do it again you know yeah. so I'm like supercharged ready to dive back in and you've just been woodshedding like alright I'm ready motherfucker yeah. you know I was like yeah I get it um, <laughs> I'll help you bro I always think that this is the end of the album no matter how many times I've heard it by the way and now we're right here. 43 songs in. Shut up. <laughs> 17. Now this is 18. The the uh, closing track. Yeah. And I... Yeah, I'm really happy with this being the, the closer. Ugh. Tasty. Mm. And then this part, we had the, the preach, having everybody do the grind. That was something that... Uh, made a big difference when we changed it. I could see the crew in their athletic shorts, their tank tops, you know, karate chopping and kicking to this. You know what's funny, though? Backflips. This is one of the only songs I have ever written and played for Kellen, and he's like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, just fucking trust me. The demo was very different. When you play Out the of context. Fucking, well, because it's just guitar parts, right? And so they just, they're low... Open Yeah. Like, what are we and doing? He's here? like, is this a Godsmack song or something? And I was like, no, no. I was like, you have to fucking trust me. Should have um, been. And we put this. I was like, trust me when there's drums and vocals on it, you know. And then he came over and we did the drums, and he's just like, dude, I don't fucking know, man. And I was like, I ha I have the vocals. 
just wait, please just wait. Because this was one of the last songs added too. Yeah. Um, and then when we finished the record, I remember we're listening back to everything, and both of us were like, damn, that's one of the best songs, isn't it? <laughs> it is yes, one of the best songs. little faith. You have no vision. No, I, I, I'm not like trying to it, diss you or something. I, was just, I just thought it was suck. What the fuck, guys? I said. <laughs> you, you bring me up and then you just... <laughs> just a set And your playing is so good, but your taste is terrible. Yeah. You, you're just dumb. That's Just all stop works. writing, you know? <laughs> Even up until we recorded it, I was like, I don't know about the song. Yeah. And then finally hearing hearing it back in context, I was like, okay, this is, it is pretty good. And it was one of those, because there have been <laughs> other songs where if one of us wasn't feeling it anymore, we'd throw it out, you know? Yeah. Even like, I think we everyone were really wanted... Good, we were good about that this time. Yeah. And I think even everyone wanted Cracks, the one I was talking about earlier, the depression one, on the record. And I was just like, no, I, I, I can't do it. It's got to go, you know? We held on to it for a long time. But this was one where I was like, I'm not accepting the veto until this thing is finished. If when it's <laughs> finished and the thing I have in my head comes out worse than I think, like I, I, I can swallow that, but like I have to see this idea to completion, you know? And, that uh, speaks to your relationship. A lot of people would say, no, this is bad. Yeah. I refuse to play drums on this. <laughs> I don't think it's good. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that we just have such a history. We have a trust that that was one of the rare moments where I have an idea and you just don't, instinctually know what to play already you know because um, a lot of times you know we'll have conversations about transitions or little nuances yeah. but i mean for the most part gonna, it's like i just need to play it <laughs> i yeah yeah for for the most part it's just like i'm sending you the demo and you show up and we just knock it out you know and we can have two new songs like fully arranged and recorded everything in the two hours that we get you know before yeah. we have to cut off for neighbor complaints you know which does speak to our chemistry and i think it oh god here he goes again <laughs> no vision Kellen over here shut up ben <laughs> shut up it just it just spoke to how quickly things came to like when we were finally realizing the album yeah that it was just like arrange everything and, and really make it like laid out on tape really well. And that was like the next sort of like good moment of our chemistry is sort of like, yes, this works. Yes, this works. No, cut that. You know, it just, everything snowballed really fast Yeah, to being like, you know what? Should we do this? No. Do you like this? Yes. It was like, it just kept going like much faster to make a really good final product. Yeah. And I, I remember when we did squalor, and, or I don't know if it had come out yet or not, but Taylor was in town and me and Taylor and Ben and some friends got together and I was talking about, I was really excited that the band was back, you know, and Ben's r response was like, yeah, that's really cool. Can I ask though, like, why are you keeping the name? Like if you're starting all new material for the most part, not really playing the old stuff, like wh why isn't this a new band? But I just feel like so much of the band is you and me and that continued bond and I think you know, chemistry. Totally freaking kidding. How about that? <laughs> you take your you. tank top and you get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> uh, but Joshing so hard. <laughs> Stop. Stop it. Well, anyway, I think that uh, we got something 
that we can all be proud of, especially Ben. Your <laughs> your playing was great. On I'll this. take credit for everyone. Else. <laughs> um, your vocals sounded especially nice. Yeah, I've tried something um, different. Yeah, the thing that you did with the toms in that one song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was really yeah. I didn't just play it all. I mixed and mastered it. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, well, and you wrote you it. Really Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. You did write I it. Forget that, but yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, man. I think this album on every level was more collaborative and so much better for it. You know, uh, recording live with Eric, working with Winston again, and elevating the concept to something that I, I, I just, I guess, couldn't articulate, you know? And uh, taking something I've wanted to do since high school and, you know, work with The Blasting Room. I mean, they've mastered, they mastered Squalor and they mastered the This Day's End album. But there's only so much, you know, when someone gives me a mixed record, there's only so much I can do to put my spin on it. Being able to give them the, just everything that was some like bucket list shit for me. It was very expensive having those contributors, but um, all of those things between our chemistry and tour experience bleeding into the flow of the album and you know the way that they elevated the music. Because I mean, we all heard the rough mix. It sounded good but it sounded a hell of a lot more like Squalor than what you hear now, you know? And I feel like it's a much more effective album, you know? It it just yeah. feels like somehow they dialed up the energy. And then, of course, the, you know, the statement of the cover. I just think that all of those collaborative angles made for a better result. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's, it's solid. I would say that, because that's what we had talked about with Squalor, was like if that, if that was... You know the album we made, and it's like, well, fuck it. I guess we made a good album. You know, yeah. This this is truly like, like I felt that way with Squalor, but with this one, I, I'm like, honestly, right it's, it's now, it's so elevated. It's so much more elevated than that previous album. Yeah, and I, I feel so musically content. Yeah, you know, with whatever else is going on in life, and you know, even the logistics of launching this album and this tour is very difficult, but. In terms of just the actual records, if I'm going to sit back and look at them, you know, I made figures of speech with it in mind going, I can't afford, like, I'm trying to dig myself out of debt so hard right now from all these tours and albums I've released and how expensive it is. I was like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this where I put all this money into the music videos and the beats and the features and all this shit, you know, and the artwork. And and, and so I, I really went all in on that. Like, if I was never get to do this again or if i got hit by a bus tomorrow that was kind of my mantra for the record like if i got hit by a bus tomorrow like what is the thing i want to be remembered for or what do i want to leave behind and and to me that was it that summed up me and my hip-hop shit and this record very much feels like the same thing but i would take it all the way back to 1998 of like when started epd and this was the shit i always wanted to make and this feels like it could even be the conclusion of that. Like, sure. Like, you know, if I got hit by a bus, <laughs> you know, I honestly, I, a real thing I don't buses. feel, I'm just saying, if it were to end, I feel so good about leaving it off with my best work in each side. You know, I even have the few people that have heard daydream i know sarks is, keeps telling me that's my best record which again i'm clouded for all the shit that happened around that record that i can't 
I can't fully love it, but you know, you try to top yourself and I failed a lot at that a lot of times, but to get it right in like each of my genres, you know, I genuinely feel like I could retire. Like <laughs> I'm the fucking nonstop working constantly, whatever. But like, dude, I don't have a bunch of records on deck right now. I feel satisfied in what I've made. Yeah, you have the album when someone goes, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I play punk music, and yeah. here's my album. Yeah, seriously. Here's the album. Yeah. yeah, we lucked out, or we endured, or we whatever. But for some reason, the stars aligned, and I, I, I really, from the early reactions we got, and I, I really hope that the people do hear it, because I think they'll like it. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it was the intention of this record just kind of came together. I guess we were just all ready for, for it to <laughs> happen. Yeah. You know, my, my mind was more focused on it, you know, I would just be like, let's just make it the best we can, you know, and like anything that feels weird, work it out. Or if anything or that away. we don't like, yeah, just yeah. get rid of it. It's like, yeah. you, we don't need to salvage something because of like, well, what if, yeah. you know, it's like, no, just let's, put what we want just down and this just happened to be it and it just happens to be really good yeah Lynn's <laughs> gonna be driving that bus that hits you i think it, that's what he's I think yeah it oh, yeah i bought a greyhound yesterday <laughs> <laughs> i think it captures uh you know this this time in our lives and um somehow this this time in uh our country which is a weird sentence to say but yeah i just think a lot of us are feeling this way and um some about it just works and i still have i i have ideas you know in 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 doing this you know i have two other dfs records that i could see being made that i you know i would like to do but um if this shit doesn't work out <laughs> you know we've been really really trying to hold this shit together and i'm really going to keep trying and put this out and play as hard as we can and and cover as much ground but i think it's a it's a good last chapter if it has to be i would agree normally i would close by playing a song from the artist on the show but uh since we just listened to everything <laughs> hmm. well we did talk over it yeah we did talk over it <laughs> Play so. it again, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that has to be the end. The Don't say anything else. Stop it. Okay. All right, that's the show. Thank you guys so much for listening all the way through. If you want to support DFS and the album, you can pick up Peril at Take92.com. We've got CDs, tapes, T-shirts, and bundles of all of that stuff. If you bundle them up, it's free shipping too. So check that out. And we're also going to have it up on all the streaming platforms this Friday when everything officially drops. So if you do follow it on there, you know, the free way, just do us a favor and share that. Help spread the word about the album and the band. We are doing the release show on Saturday here in Eugene. It's at Old Nick's with our good friends Streetlight Cardiacs and Black Delaney. The 800 Octane guys will be there in the house if you want to say what's up. Thanks for all the love we've had so far on this album. And, of course, thanks to Kellen and Ben for uh, sitting down and, and talking about it. Subscribe to the show, as always, Take 92 Podcast. 
I'll leave you with the track, the closer on the album. It's called Maga Man. <laughs>